Hey, what's up, gang? Welcome back to another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. This season, we've been focusing on the evolution of content ops. And this show, we've got someone who's really seen it all, um, has some great cheat codes from the front lines. I'm Sam Chapman, head of content here at Aprimo, joined as always by Ed Brialt, CMO and show host. Ed, who do we have on the show today? Aaron Stern. He's a journalist, freelance writer, producer at NBC. He was on the client side at Johnson & Johnson and currently at eCity Interactive, an agency in Philly. Really wanted to bring Aaron on and have him also give a view into the world of agencies. Uh, pretty much got multiple agencies who leverage our products, but really wanted to get a inside out view. Yeah, I think it's, it's great to have people like Aaron on the show because he's really seen it all. He's got a really impressive career trajectory. Um, and I think it's a great example of this new generation of marketing leadership that has come up through content, really built their career on content and putting some data-driven and customer-centric practices behind it. So curious to see what we get into there. Yeah. One interesting cheat code he gets into is, I'll call it along the content supply chain. We often talk about trust as it relates to uh, brand and consumer, but building trust within the content supply chain itself, especially given he works at an agency and he needs to build trust with his, uh, his client side. Um, and brands that he works for. Yeah. And, you know, we've been batting this idea around on the show a little bit, but also just with what we've seen with our Primo customers and just, you know, with our finger on the pulse of the industry in general is in 2023 and beyond the need to really build on the foundations of content operations, making your content strategy the same priority as your customer strategy. And I think what's really interesting is when you get somebody that understands content and then add that to the agency world, it's really like, a test lab for this notion because they are by definition building content strategy to map to that customer strategy. So I think there's a bunch of cheat codes coming out in that respect. Absolutely. We also hit on some aspects of the content world that are massively disruptive right now. We've talked about chat GPT uh, very lightly, but um, you know, cognitive AI having its place within content generation. And there's just so much on that topic to come here uh, to us in the future. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Aaron's also got a, a blog post that just went live on the eCity Interactive website called What Chat GPT Means for Content Marketing. So I suggest you all go check that out. We'll drop the link in the show notes. But yeah, uh, really excited for this one, Ed, uh, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Here we go. Hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. My name is Ed Brialt, host of Marketing Cheat Codes and CMO at Primo. Really excited to have a content king on the show today, Aaron Stern. Aaron, welcome to Cheat Codes. Thank you very much. That is a grandiose introduction, but I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're going to get into your codes. I'm shortening it now. I'm just calling them codes. <laughs> um, and you're quite the content... Uh, expert practitioner, many forms of media and content. I want to, I want to start where your the origination point with you was uh, in content, um, but currently you're in the agency world. Correct. Yes. Right now, I am the director of content at eCity Interactive, an agency in Philadelphia. Been here for about three years. Been here physically. Moved to Philly uh, shortly after taking this job and been here for about three years. We're a web development company by 
uh, history. Um, hence that mm-hmm. really snazzy name of eCity Interactive, because that made a lot of sense in 1999. Um, we are a more uh, rounded digital marketing uh, agency at this point, and I came in to build up the content capability uh, three years ago. So love that. Would yeah. definitely like to get into, I'll call it demystifying agency work with clients and brands. Um, I think even if you're, some folks don't always understand how agencies work, are you know are structured, how they service, how they build talent, um, uh, but then. There's also some concepts of some brands building in internal agencies within their uh, organization. So I think there'll be some value there too. So definitely want to demystify that. Um, but take me back to the beginning on you. Um, wh- where did your content journey start? Oh, man. Uh, so not to sound cheesy, but I mean, like, I don't know when I was a kid, like, yeah. uh, just writing, I guess, is the, is, the, is the first place it started, right? And that's like the first thing that I figured out as a kid that I was like good at and that I liked doing. Um, and so uh, coming out of uh, college, I got a, actually during college, I got a, a an internship with this local newspaper where, where I'm from and just outside of DC. Uh, I ended up working there uh, a little bit out of college. That was like my first foray into journalism, uh, a weekly newspaper, a you know, in the throes of like falling, you know, being taken down uh, through falling real estate uh, revenues. Uh, you know, Craigslist was destroying the classifieds. Uh, yeah. You know, digital media in general just was like the thing taking over newspapers at the time. I mean, this is 20 years ago. So um, this, it was a chain of newspapers. It's the Connection newspapers in uh, Northern Virginia and in Maryland. And when I started, it was like, I think like 20 plus newspapers. And by the time I left three years later, it was uh, like, like maybe half of that. Um, and, you know, as it going from having one or two reporters on each paper to having one reporter covering multiple papers and, uh, you know, furloughs and, and all of that. Uh, so just watching the newspaper industry kind of, yeah go through everything that I went through 20 years ago. Um, what's nice now is I think that there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a revitalization in local journalism. Some people trying some organizations to, doing some cool things to try and uh, bring local journalism back because it's such a backbone of, I think, a functioning democracy and a informed society. But um, the more we can have that, the better. Uh, so that was a really, really amazing experience. I think that kind of forged me in the fire in a lot of ways of being a person who can create content on, uh, under pressure, find good stories, mm-hmm. pressure, tell them well under pressure. Um, from there, I went to uh, to grad school at Northwestern, got my master's in journalism. Yeah, right in Chicago. In Chicago, yeah. Yep. Um, from there, I went to Kenya for a few months, uh, worked at a TV station there. Uh, from there, I came back to Chicago uh, briefly. No, that's not true. I came back. I, actually, I, I left left Chicago, moved to Boston because I met my now wife in grad school. Hmm. We moved to Boston after Chicago. I immediately went to Kenya. We uh, Nairobi. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, working at K twenty four, a TV. Uh, a new station there. Um, came back, and actually, that's when I started to get into B2B publishing uh, in Boston. I worked for a small B2B publisher uh, called, gosh, I'm going to forget the parent company right now, um, but CE Pro is their, uh, their big like custom electronics um, yeah. 
the big custom electronics magazine. And it's a, it is a big, um, that's like a big, well-known, um, publication in the, the custom electronics space. Um, they also had a magazine called commercial integrator and I was working on a, a, a startup platform within, uh, that organization. Um, kind of like it was, it's sort of like B2B, but it was like focusing on the end user. So it was like the same mm-hmm. kinds of, um, areas that, uh, custom electronics and commercial integrator was dealing with, um, but like focusing the end user. So almost like a news and education site for them around that kind of stuff. From there, I jumped back into the editorial side of things. I worked with NBC Olympics, uh, mm-hmm. Times actually um, for the London Olympics and also for the Sochi Olympics. So I had two kind of stints interspersed with both EH Publishing, that's the parent company at this B2B place, uh, with NBC uh, Sports slash Olympics. Um, and uh, eventually I was the so it's kind of it's kind of hard to follow those two things. EH Publishing, NBC, EH Publishing, NBC, and then left that and then um, I was actually at uh, Johnson Johnson for five years, um, running a content platform for their lifestyle brand um, that is no more. And mm-hmm. I left there. That was my first time working with an agency, um, which was a very interesting experience. Uh, being on the client side is a very privileged place to be. And um, then being on the... <laughs> That sounds terrible to say, but <laughs> uh, working with agencies, it was a good experience. Uh, they, um, I left there, I was consulting for a little bit, and then I came here to East City Interactive. I don't think I ever in a hundred years thought I would eventually work, would ever work at an agency, but it's, uh, it's been a pretty, uh, yeah, I guess a, a, a fun journey to this point, and it's um, a great place to be. It's kind of, it kind of takes uh, my content background and, mm-hmm. uh, add some creative elements to it, I guess. Um, it's kind of a fun play space in some ways. I assume you can get a more broader spectrum of creativity being with an agency. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the nice thing. I think one, so one of the things that was nice about working at a newspaper is like you cover a new thing every week, every day you get to be, you become an expert in like little mini micro topics all the time. You have to educate yourself well enough so that you can educate other people through the content that you create. Right. Um, essentially that's what you do at a newspaper. That's what you do at an agency. You, you know, we work with different clients. We work with different on different projects with different clients. It's always changing. Um, and that is really, uh, for me, something that is, I mean, not just like fun, but kind of important to keep me engaged and, uh, and energized and moving forward. Yeah. Now, I find that fascinating. What were some of the, when you were covering stories, uh, what were some of them that you, what makes for a good story to go cover? Like, what are maybe some of the essential elements that, um, where you say, you know, I'm going to actually, I'll pick this story. I'm going to go investigate it, research it, write it. What are some of those common characteristics that would allow you to then select something to go write about? Uh, things that things that people can relate to, mm-hmm. uh, things that they things that are touch their daily lives that they might not know about, um, things that touch their daily lives that they do know about that nobody ever talks about. Um, you know, in a community newspaper setting, these are the people that they're around, the businesses that are around, um, the the processes, like, you know, the government processes that like surround the decisions that get made about like what gets built where, what doesn't get built where, how do, what kind of input do you have into those things and whatnot. Um, so 
at a basic core, it's like, it, that's where you start to figure out like what matters to who's my audience, what matters to my audience. And then within what matters to my audience, like what are those, what are those kind of topic areas that you, that you delve into um, within any audience, of course, right? Like different things matter to different people. You have different subsets of your audience. And so you kind of find what those topic areas are. I mean, that's why, for instance, a newspaper has several different sections, right? Right. Um, within, you know, within a B2B audience, you have different um, personas within that audience. And so you end up creating, you know, there's different messaging, different content that goes to those people based on who they are, um, what they, what they uh, know, what they don't know, what they need to know. Um, but there's strong parallels between whatever you do, would do in an editorial organization and what you do as an agency. And of course, as every brand wants to become a content creator, they are adopting editorial, you know, have adopted editorial platforms and approaches. And so it's mm -hmm. kind of, it's the same approach, just uh, in a different format. Yeah. When you think about your audience and some of those personas, some of those, we'll call it archetypes you'd write for. How do you get into what, what's your methodology for figuring out why they would care? Why would they read it? Why would they consume it? Sort of the the why aspect uh, to tap into maybe some of the emotional side, uh, the rational side. How do you how do you get into figuring out your the receiving end of your your stories you'd write for? In an agency world, it is. Um it helps them do their job better, right? Ultimately, you are create well, okay, in a B2B context, you are creating content for that will help people do their jobs better. Um, you know, the information that you are creating is something that they need to know, they don't know it yet, you're creating content that matters to them. If you're creating content for someone who's trying to reach uh, a more consumer focused audience, like we do a lot of work with higher ed, for instance. So mm -hmm. Um, helping them devise content strategies so that they can speak to, you know, prospective students authentically, um, share information about their institution that people might not know. Higher ed is a place that every school sounds like another school, um, and differentiation is extremely difficult. So being both authentic and really specific about who you are um, and what you have to offer people really matters. Like in a higher ed space, nobody cares that you have like a nice big green like lawn in the middle of your campus or that you have like small uh like class like student to professor ratios because like 300 other colleges have those things too so mm -hmm. it's like oh well what about your like what about your study abroad program what about your like history in this like particular focus area what about like the clubs that you have on the campus or, or what it is that makes uh, like you know the student experience like truly i don't want to say unique because that's a very overused word, but truly distinctive to um, to what you have to offer people. So, I work at an agency that takes user research extremely seriously. It's really focal to everything that we do. This isn't this isn't like you just kind of guess and figure it out. We go out and interview. We interview stakeholders before every major project. We interview stakeholders on the client side. We interview actual users of the website or, um, you know, prospective students or whoever it is. Um, we do surveys of the users. So we get lots of qualitative data. We get lots of quantitative data. We know what matters to people because they tell us. We know what the pain points are with whatever they're doing right now. Um, that's not working because they, because they tell us. And so we don't have to guess about what matters to people. We know, but then we can also go out and 
do all of our due diligence as far as web analytics, SEO research, um, you know, third party information to find out like additionally, like what are these, what are these things that matter to audiences, this audience and audiences like this, that, um, you know, that can kind of supplement all of that uh, data and research that we get. So you've got the qualitative data, the quantitative data, you've done your research. How do you then, I'll call it, put your content under stress, you know, to, to really get it, to prove its value? And, um, and are there any, I'll call it litmus tests that you, you put it through to, to know that it's high quality? Uh, the best thing you can do is to create it, right? And put it out there and see how people react to it. Um, you know, there are any number of kind of like templates and best practices for how to create like content that people can scan, content that people can, you know, digest quickly or that, you know, you know, they want video over text or whatever it is in different formats. But the best way you can do it is just create it and go out and see and then, you know, test, optimize, iterate, right? Yeah. That's the, that is like the, really the truest way to know. What's really nice is that, um, is when we can go from creating a content strategy for someone to then getting the work to go out and create that content and then actually go out and prove that strategy, take that strategy into the real world and develop that content and see what works and see what doesn't work. And then, um, and then, and then improve it and, and take it forward. So it sounds like a very scientific approach that you'll take. Uh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, in, in terms of uh, all the data that goes in and all the analysis uh, uh, afterward, for sure. Yeah. I don't think of it as, as a science, but I suppose it is. I want to get your take on what are some of the, how important is cycle time in what you do? Uh, to get it out there. Obviously, the faster you can uh, get something in market, faster you can get those insights to iterate back. Um, are there any like cheat codes within the time dimension of some of the things you talked about with regards to research, creation process, and in market? Yeah. I mean, working in an agency, I think the one of the you know, kind of one of the inevitable things that you run into is just like approvals on the client side um, and, and uh, changing priorities on the client side. Uh, I think having establishing trust so that you can basically move quickly and consolidate the approval process on the client side, um, move quickly to a place where they don't need to review necessarily like every post in a social media, um, content calendar before you put it out there, they will read every piece of content that you create for them or watch every you know video that you create for them, of course, but that you quickly get into a, a cycle where there's a single approver, that approver is empowered from wherever in the organization they need to be empowered by. Um, you all understand the strategy and the goals and how each piece of content ladders up to those messaging pillars, those content pillars, those overall goals that you want mm-hmm. to to uh, achieve and approve and you just can get into a good um, working uh, relationship and production model there. I think the biggest hang up is when strategies change before content can be implemented or people are unable or unwilling to kind of let go of um, to to consolidate that review I guess I would say. Um, You know there are 
many people need to see every piece of content. Um, that kind of thing can really can really slow things down because you're right, right? Like the faster you can create things uh, and get them out there, the better. Um, we have had clients that you know you start you, you create a strategy, you start to move in direction, you start to create content, and then uh, you know what? That's not our most important audience anymore. <laughs> right. So let's change things up, and we need that content like tomorrow. Uh, well. <laughs> That's not uh, that's not ideal, I would say, but it happens and you adjust. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm glad you brought up that that point around how trust between the client, the brand, the agency, the creator, the consu- the uh, the uh, the customer. I would say of of the content. Trust is so important. It drives cycle time faster. Uh, the reviews, the approvals are. Um, the difference between um, days and weeks. Um, that's what are some of the things that you do to build trust when creating content with your with your customer as you know, within an agency. And how important is the talent you have that you're working with? I'm sure it's it goes along with it. The skill sets you have and that allow you to to build the trust and uh, be successful. Yeah. Um, talent's extremely important. But to the first point of your question, as far as getting gaining trust or having approvals, um, I think giving people the transparency that they have into things, being able to uh, assure them that you're not trying to do anything radical, you're not trying to drive their brand off of the road into a ditch. Um, where I was before, there was you know uh, lengthy regulatory, um, medical, legal, regulatory review processes. MLR, and- yeah. And they were difficult, right? But um, once um, once I actually started attending meetings, these were live meetings where and 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 you, I could meet the people and talk to the people, and they could realize, oh, I wasn't some like rogue runaway person just like creating content willy nilly, trying to you know create adverse experiences for the entire American population. Um, they could realize like where I was coming from, and we could have conversations, and things could become negotiations, and we could build trust. Um, and I think that's really important: is is people understanding what you're doing, why you're doing it, that you have the right intentions in mind to do it, even. When and especially when that means like maybe pushing your brand toward a place that they're not entirely that is new for them that they're not entirely comfortable with, um, in terms of how they message, in terms of what they're saying, how transparent they are, or um, their voice and tone, whatever it might be, right? But like building that kind of building that transparency, bringing them along, and just uh, you know honestly getting to know them as people and you getting to them getting to know you as a person can really help with that. Yeah. Um, how, sorry. Yeah, no, I've I've been in those meetings as well. Those MLR reviews where they're reviewing promotional materials for uh, for a drug brand or you know regulated product, and they're intense. They're expensive. There's some ve- they're rooms full of very uh, skilled uh, skilled folks, and time is of the essence. And if you've if it's got to cycle back or there's errors, I mean, time really does uh, time really is money in those situations. Yeah, I mean they're they're. There are people who, to them, the whole, everything you're creating is a bunch of nails and they're the hammer, right? So, uh, but you can smooth that process out by one, kind of obviously learning the guidelines, um, knowing the red flags, knowing the things you can say and can't say. I even take that to where I am now in terms of creating language around promising things and not promising things. Um, 
I don't, we don't create much copy that says this thing will do this thing for you because I don't know if this thing will do this thing for you. That totally depends on a variety of circumstances. No one can ever say like succinctly, like concretely, like, Oh, a hundred percent. If you come to our college, you will get a, a, a great degree within six months, right? Like whatever it is, um, or, or, or sorry, a great job, like within six months of graduation, um, you know, you have to use language that is both promising and uh, not over promising and realistic. Um, as far as talent goes, that is like the, the best way to create quality content, right? Is to have people who uh, like to do what they're doing are good at what they do and bring like a level of creativity and just kind of personal perspective and experience to, to be able to do it. Um, it will really slow you down and gum up what you're trying to do. If you don't have that um, kind of quality, that kind of talent built in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you get people who uh, are, are really good at what they do, it makes, it just makes everything go smoother. It puts, it just, takes out two steps in the production process of everything you're doing. When you think about talent acquisition or building a team, what are some of the, I'll call it cheat codes within building, not just sourcing an individual's skills, experiences, but even like a team dynamic? Because often, you know, there's, there's magic within, you know, getting folks who, um, whether it be a diverse set of folks uh, or fa- folks that really round each other out. What are some of those talent building cheat codes and or qualities, characteristics of individuals that you like to to bring together for for a project or a or a job? Um, that's a really good question. I think passion, which is like hard, really hard to assess, but like a, a, like passion and like granular knowledge. I think to the extent that you can assess passion and granular knowledge around what they do, that's really helpful because I think um, granular knowledge can speak to like the, the kind of passion and dedication that they have towards something. Um, I got into like a debate when I was hiring uh, someone and, and, and they were like very adamant about like this stylistic thing that they're, that they were beholden to. Um, it's the Oxford Dog. But like, and that, like, that yeah. Oxford Com was something that like people like to joke about. But that, but like, you know, then she told me about her, you know, like how she, um, how she approaches ghostwriting for people, and like actually how she like studies their sentence pattern, and like is able to kind of like replicate their voice that way. And and um, once you can sort of sort of start to dig into the finite details of like what a person knows and how they go about what they do and how they talk about it, honestly. Uh, I came out of that interview knowing that this person was going to be someone who would take what they did very seriously, would push back on me or anyone when they felt like they needed to. And great. That's great. You should. You should. Whatever you're doing, you should feel empowered and you should want to push back on people when you think that they're steering you in the wrong direction or you know better or whatever it is, right? So, of course, as long as you're open to having a conversation about it. But um, uh, I think if you can figure out how much they care about something and how much they know and care about the details, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Best idea wins, right? Best idea wins, right? Best, most willingness to want to try new things, do new things, experience trying new things and doing new things. Um, I think 
Uh, the the head of our agency, his name is Kevin Renton. He also has this thing. And I think it's fairly valid that you can also kind of gauge people as far as kind of like a culture fit or what they can contribute to kind of like the passion that they'll bring to the work based on what they do outside of outside of work. Right. So like what like what what do they love to do? What wild things have they done? What is their passion project? What is their hobby? Um that they take really seriously and and have like built a you know um, maybe like a skill set or a an expertise in this other area that's nothing to do with they do with what they do other than a demonstrated um, track record of establishing a passion and pursuing it and being really good at something um, and I think that that's that is a good I, I do think that that can be a good indicator I think it's I think you can also read too far into certain things or maybe if you don't see things a certain certain things from people you might be like mm, well this person doesn't have any like super distinguishing weird quirky hobbies so i'm not sure if they're the ones for me you don't want to go down that path but i do think that there's something to seeing how people um manifest just in all facets of their life yeah that's awesome um let's hit on technology um there's got to be some cheat codes with content creation technology um, you know, AI has come a long way. Um, models are now being put out there to the public, open sourced models for writing. Um, what are your thoughts on technology, experimentation with technology, sort of crossing over into the world of writing and, and creativity? Yeah, uh, it's, it's going to be, I think, a a um, really pivotal and crucial topic for not just writing, but for a lot of practices, a lot of professions going forward, right? I mean, we we do more than just like write here. We create lots of content in lots of different ways, but AI applies or will apply to all of them. There's not a lot that AI is not going to touch in a few years, but right now, um, AI touches writing right away. And um, that changed, like Chad GPT made that happen on the Oh, yeah. Right? The, the so, scary part is it's getting good. It's it, getting it, really good. It is good. It, it is good. Um, <laughs> it's like I, I, I wrote a blog post that's like that. Um, we're going to publish, uh, we're going to publish, I think, tomorrow. Um, and in writing, which I still do. Uh, yeah, I I, um, I, re I realized that it, ChatGPT is kind of like what Ask Jeeps was supposed to be. It was like, oh, you just have a random question and somebody answers it for you really thoroughly. But it is it is um, going to change how we write. It's going to change about how we think about writing. It's going to change how we think about knowledge and the value that we place on knowledge and the um, value we place on people based on the knowledge that they possess and do not possess. Um, I mean, just like some really fundamental, fundamental shifts. Um, as far as writing, it's a tool and it has its limitations right now. Yeah. Yes. But those limitations might not exist in six months or two years or whatever, right? Like it's not current right now. The last time it was updated was in 2021. Um, it 
has inaccuracies right now because it's predictive and it kind of it, it takes one prediction to the next to the next to the next and ends up in places um, with some regularity that are not factually correct. Um, but it is it is extremely impressive and it is like wild to like see what it can do and it, it can be funny um, and it can be really and it can be creative and um, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I think t- it's not going to be it. It's not going to be like oh, this thing just creates all of your content for you. But it is going to be a tool for creating your content for sure. It's going to generate ideas for you. It's going to create out. It's going to be able to and can now. I mean, basically give you pr- potential outlines for something that you ought to write. Um, yeah. It's it's revolutionary, and to like say that it's anything other than revolutionary is just is is to be a little bit like resistant. I think. Yeah, I've I've got an account now, and I'm just uh, I'll call it in in the testing research phase of it. Write me a a blog post, you know, two thousand to three thousand words. Use these keywords. I put in like content strategy, content operations, digital asset management. I threw my company of primo in there and um and then i said also reference this other blog and oh by the way do it in the voice and tone of santa claus and so it took on the persona of santa claus and in there it it talked about yeah yeah, digital asset management uh, organization of content just like you know just like toys um it was pretty mind-blowing what it produced it's uncanny yeah it can sound like Mark Twain. It can sound like Jerry Seinfeld. It can sound like whoever you want it to sound like. And um, it's really good at it. The question that, like, what's the... Va- this is And this is where I think it becomes, like, very existential very quickly. Yeah. I, 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 um, so you write that blog post, or it writes that blog post for you, right? The, it obviously serves a utilitarian value for you. You can post that blog post. You can promote that blog post on social media, which, by the way, can also craft, of course, the social copy that it uses to promote that. But Absolutely. you don't have that knowledge unless, I mean, you, you'll you read it, right? You'll read it and you'll know what it says. But depending on the topic, it's going to reference things that you might not know about. You might not. But, but then you've created something that... Um, Portends on your behalf that you know a lot of things that you may or may not know about, right? And so then it's like a question of what is the, I don't know, like, what's the purpose of this? How quickly are you creating content that outkicks your coverage? And like, is and what's the value of that? Um, and obviously, from like a sales perspective, like, great, I can say I can demonstrate knowledge that is important to my customers. Do I have that knowledge? Does ChatGPT provide that knowledge? Do I even need to have that knowledge if I can always turn to an AI that does have that knowledge? Um, and that's when you start to think about it as a tool, um, and but in many different ways. So it, just even beyond writing, right? Like it can write, edit, manipulate all kinds of code right now, and it's going to have a lot of other abilities too. So I think it's really fascinating to think about and to wrestle with, like, what does it mean when you hand over the <clears throat> responsibility for having knowledge to something outside of people? Yeah, 
I mean, that knowledge has to originate from somewhere to begin with for the, for the model to learn from. So we're still going to have to do that education piece, uh, not being full, fully reliant. There's also, yeah, go ahead. And, and I don't think it's like, so that's yes, a hundred percent. And I just, I think back to the writing thing is like, uh, I mean, it's going to kill a lot of low hanging fruit. It's going to kill shitty listicles, but like, yeah. okay. There's like, there's way, we don't need all of the shitty content out there that it's going to kill. And that only existed because people took advantage of the way that the internet works for a very long time. Now, no one's going to need to even, not only does no one need to write like, like 10 tips for like digital marketers, no one needs to Google it either because they can look it up in chat GPT and get that information and drill down and get more information and drill down and get more information. It's all right there. I mean, the other thing that we're like not saying yet is that it obviously like totally changes search. Um, or, it sure does. You know, like usurps the purpose of search. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's a, it's really significant in a lot of ways. I mean, if it kills shitty content, Fine. Great. I think that there is like something, the thing I worry about, uh, is, is, mm, there's a value to, it's the thing that like teachers always tell you, right? Like if you can write well, you can like present your thoughts well to anyone in any format, in any, no matter what you do, it doesn't even have to be like anything related to it. And so I do think that there's a value to writing, that and to knowing how to write where you know how to ask a question, research and answer that question, and then present that information to other people. And that's like a really fundamental skill that I think is important for people to have. I'm sure the counter argument to the thing that I'm saying is that like, well, ChatGPT just helps you do that. And that's fine. That's fun. Like, am I a little bit sad to think that maybe my kids won't like know how to write, right? That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. use their brain, develop their brain. They're, they've outsourced too much of their brain to technology too early in life. Potentially. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that's it, right? Like it's a, just back to like what we're talking about in the agency world. Like, yeah, you need like 10 tagline ideas really quickly. Great. Easy. Done. You need like a rough draft of a blog post. Great. Done. I think that it is, you do have to think about it in that way though, right? Um, it's like, these are rough drafts. You have to, I think you have to take them and build your own, your own um, perspective into under, like, I do think it's really important that you are saying what you're only saying things that you actually know and believe, Yeah, of course. Right. So then it's like, you have a first draft from this person on your staff who is in AI and can put the time into, into doing that. So, yeah. Then you go enrich it, hang your, your, your unique perspective, your point of view. Uh, maybe you've got some proprietary research or data or stats yeah. to enrich it with. Um, yeah, I mean that's the, that's another thing that it can't do right now. Is speak for you. I mean, you can direct it to speak for you, right? But it can't like provide the individual, unique perspective of like you know your company's CEO. Um, it can't, um, you know, share their emotions. It doesn't know your personal experience. So, um, 
it's going to be it's going to be a, a, a useful tool. And um, beyond that, it's where we go in a couple of years is going to be pretty wild. Yeah, I'm intrigued by it. Um, let's hit on uh, the last topic here. Whenever you work with with clients, um, the value of content, sort of proving the return on investment. Um, when you talk about content performance, what are some of the sort of dimensions you typically focus on um, improving the value that uh, content delivers for your clients? Uh, one of the most fundamental, um, you know, it just relies, just resides in the value of um, inbound traffic and, you know, inbound marketing, you can say it's pros and cons and whatnot, but the being able to build in a baseline of traffic that um, that you just don't have if you rely on paid media all the time um, is pretty invaluable. A great yeah. baseline of quality inbound traffic is just hugely valuable to what you do. Um, having content then, having content that can then work for you in social spaces, in social conversations can help you build and be a part of communities is hugely valuable. We publish a magazine, a digital magazine called Bolt. It is a magazine for higher ed marketers um, and leaders and decision makers. And creating that content gives us entree into that space and those conversations that within, you know, the, there are lots of B2B spaces like this, but higher ed marketers are like a very tight and active community on Twitter. Um, you know, Bolt serves as a a spearhead, I guess, if you will, for an e-city into the higher ed um, marketing space. And Bolt has a very active voice within that space because of the perspectives that it shares, because of the um, news that it reports, because of the conversations that we host on our podcasts. So, um, there is, uh, there's just, I think a really, a really, um, all, I don't want to say limitless, but it is a very broad value to being a content creator, demonstrating your expertise, welcoming people into that space and allowing people to be part of those conversations, not just like pushing out. This is what we know. This is what we think, but also. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you think. Elevating other people's voices and perspectives in a way that is just like objective. Um, I think, I think that is a really that's something that I think is uh, I enjoy doing personally. But I think it's yeah. important to do as a brand is the less you're talking about yourself and the more you're just providing information to people that is useful to people. People, of course, being your audience, um, but the more the more value you inherently build for your when you can um, interact with people in a, in a non-transactional way and actually establish trust, then they have a reason to come back to you for those times when they do want to create a transaction. Yeah, like you hit on that, you put there's that dynamic there in between organic and paid to, and that your point around trust. Which one's more trustworthy? You know, you really have to earn uh, earn trust. It's hard to you can't really pay for it. 
Yeah. And the return on investment models speak for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Hang on like where, you know, what field you're in, what, how you're creating content and whatnot. But um, the value of having baseline content creation pays off for itself um, pretty quickly within a matter of like, like 12 to 16 months. And after that, the value just grows and grows. If you, it's like vegetables versus like candy, right? If you just like keep doing paid media, like great, you get a spike and then that's what it goes to get people again, you do you run paid ads and like great, you get that spike in traffic and that's work. Um, those two things obviously should exist in collaboration with each other. Awesome. Aaron, thank you. Thanks for dropping the, the cheat codes today. Where can folks um, continue the conversation with you? Oh, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at Aaron D. Stern and so Twitter for now, I'll say. <laughs> Maybe post or Mastodon next to us. <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. It was nice talking to you. You as well. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. I want to thank our guests for their time and everyone out there in a primo land for listening. This episode was written, mixed, and produced by Glenn McManus. Our associate producer is Noah Horberg. Our production coordinator is Izzy Herbst. And our creative director is Sonny Okamoto. Our series is hosted by Ed Briald. And I'm your co-host, Sam Chapman. If you like what you're hearing, please rate us or review us everywhere you listen to podcasts. And be sure to keep the conversation going by following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss or want to be a guest, head on over to the URL in the episode description and drop us a line. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.